0: in
1: that case i pronounce you lucky
2: play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. daily bonuses are waiting no purchase necessary void were prohibited by law 18 plus terms and conditions apply see website for details
0: it's time to play like a jet with your host scott mason play like a jet what does that mean there's donald airing it out people separation robbie anderson Goodbye! Touchdown, Jets! The whole NFL is watching. A fourth and ten, and here they come. Make pass! It's intercepted by Mosley! Maybe the breaks the tackle. Bell, trying to go all the way! Maybe the Touchdown! Big return for Crowder, and he's going to go all the way! Touchdown, 85 yards. Looking downfield, fires this one and intercepted at the 34. Jamal Adams takes it away. he hit immediately. he got the handoff.
3: You know The q Oh, my gosh. Listen, thank you.
4: From the Vivid Seats studios, use the promo code Overtime to get yourself up to $100 bucks off your very first purchase. When you download the Vivid Seats mobile app, this is Play Like a Jet. My name is Scott Mason. You can follow me on Twitter at Play Like a Jet One. And it's Wednesday, which means it's time for Midweek with Manish, the great beat reporter from the New York Daily News, Manish Mehta. So, Manish, how's your week going? You didn't have much of a drive to go to the stadium, at least that's a positive, right? Yeah, less traffic,
3: but uh, you know the same uh, product on the field. Unfortunately, uh, for three hours.
4: Hopefully, we're going to see something different, though, this Sunday at MetLife Stadium, because Sam Darnold is going to be back. He was medically cleared, and so it doesn't necessarily mean that the Jets are going to beat the Cowboys, but I would imagine that they're going to be a lot more competitive on Sunday.
3: Well, I sure hope so. Uh, you know, They scored three times out of 50 drives, believe it or not, in four games. So, you know, Obviously, Darnold is an upgrade over Luke Falk, and... I would assume that the the offense would at least have a pulse. Uh, I actually do think that the Jets have a a real chance of winning this game and sounds strange to Jet fans who have watched this team play uh, for the first month. But if Darnold does in fact, uh, you know, look like himself, uh, I think, you know, even though Dallas has a, a formidable defense, and they were vulnerable against Green Bay, but for the most part this season they've been a pretty tough unit. I, I do think that we'll be uh, the, uh, we'll be able to see Sam Donald move the ball. Uh, Chris Herndon will be back as well, so uh, you know that coupled with the fact that it looks like Dallas won't have both of their starting tackles, uh, to me means that uh, Adam Gase has uh, a real opportunity here to win his first game as a Jet head coach.
4: There can be no doubt that while betting on the Jets the last couple of weeks would have been a fool's errand. This week might be different because at least Sam Darnold offers hope. So if you're looking to place a wager on the Jets, get in there early before the line might swing a little bit. Go over to mybookie.ag and get yourself signed up because when you make your first deposit over there, they're going to match it. So your first deposit gets doubled. You can bet on the Jets. You can bet on any of the other games, including some of the tips that my brother Craig is going to give out on Sunday morning before all the games start. He's been doing great with his picks. He's well above 500 for the year on his regular picks, and he's 3-1 on his teasers. You may want to follow what he's doing because he's winning some money so far this year. And if you want to win money just like him, just follow his lead. Plenty of prop bets, too, if that's your thing. You can bet on how many touchdowns Sam Darnold's going to throw in his return, how much yardage Le'Veon Bell's going to have, how many penalties Tremaine Johnson's going to get called for. Spoiler alert, it's a lot. Head over to mybookie.ag right now to take advantage of that offer I just told you about where you get your deposit doubled if you use the promo code OVERTIME. mybookie.ag promo code OVERTIME. MyBookie, you play, you win, and you get paid. Now, Manish, as it pertains to the Jets' second-year signal caller, how much do you think we can reasonably expect from Darnold coming off this long layoff and mono? I know that he's certainly going to be an upgrade over Luke Falk and Trevor Simeon and it wouldn't take much, but would you say maybe like 80% would be shooting for the moon at this point?
3: It's hard to know. I mean, that's really the big mystery here. How how is his body going to hold up for four quarters uh, from a conditioning standpoint? Uh, he hasn't played a game in uh, over a month now. So uh, the good news is that he's only 22 years old. So your body does bounce back quicker, you know, at that age, especially if you're an elite athlete, uh, than it would if you were an older player. So I can't definitively answer that question. I don't know, Scott, if he's going to be 80 percent or you know, or 70 percent or or 90 percent. It's it's really. It's a difficult thing for anyone to to know, and and honestly, I don't think Sam Donald will truly know until he's actually in the game. But uh, you know, if he plays reasonably well again, I, I do think uh, that the Jets have a you know a, a good chance here to to finally get off the schneid.
4: So moving past the positive news about Sam Donald, that's going to have everybody fired up heading into this game against the Dallas Cowboys. What else is going on around the team in terms of injuries and returns? We know that Herndon is going to be back. Copeland is going to be back. But we don't know about the injuries. What's going on with Jordan Jenkins? What's going on with C.J. Mosley? Are these guys trending towards playing?
3: Well, the big one is C.J. Mosley. Of course, he hasn't played since injuring his groin in that uh, second half of week one against Buffalo. And the early returns are not promising. Uh, Adam Gase said that he believes that Mosley is quote-unquote close, he just doesn't know how close. Uh, You know, not necessarily a ringing endorsement for his availability against uh, Dallas. So uh, I think you just have to be in wait-and-see mode with Mosley. And as we talked about last week, that the injury was a little bit higher up on his groin, and because of that, that has really, uh, you know, slowed his recovery time. And uh, as we've said really now for a few weeks now, uh, whether it's a hamstring or a groin, those soft tissue injuries are so difficult to predict Uh, And I wouldn't hold my breath That C.J. Mosley would would be back For this game Uh, uh, As far as Jordan Jenkins goes I don't believe he's going to be back He's dealing with that calf issue I think uh, he'll be out Henry Anderson was a new guy Who popped up on the injury front Along that defense He got hurt on that first drive In Philly My understanding is that It's a sprained A.C. joint Really a pain tolerance issue Adam Gase uh, uh, characterized it As a week-to-week type of issue And, And again I don't believe that it's a long-term type of situation. At least uh, my information is that the Jets don't think that that he's going to be out for months or anything like that, but it's going to be difficult for him to play this week. Uh, You know, he does have a high pain threshold, but I do think the wise course of action would be to at the very least sit him out for this game. We'll see how he feels the following week with that extended time uh, for the Patriots Monday nighter. But, uh, so that's a, that's an important hit. And I know that Anderson hasn't produced to the level that he did last year when he had those seven sacks. But you kind of thought that defensive line rotation was getting right with Quinn and Williams coming back last week. You know, that gives all of those guys a little bit more of a breather. It you know cuts down their snaps to keep them fresher. And ostensibly, they'll better down the stretch of games, but now it looks like they're going to be shorthanded with Anderson out. Uh, You had mentioned uh, the two guys coming back off a suspension Chris Herndon and Brandon Copeland. Chris Herndon actually has always been in the building uh, during his suspension because of the nature of his suspension. Uh, You know, he's been in the meeting rooms and such, uh, so he gets to go on the field. Brandon Copeland, uh, because of the nature of his suspension, uh, was not actually a permitted in the building so he comes back this week the Jets actually have roster exemptions for both of those players they don't technically have to make those guys active uh, or make a decision in terms of cutting uh players to make room for those guys this week uh, but I would be extremely surprised if Chris Herndon wasn't active I fully expect him to be active and to be a significant part of the offensive game plan we'll find out about Copeland uh in terms of him being active or not uh by by the weekend, uh, they, you know they could use the, the, the Brandon Copeland that we saw last year coming off the edge, but I, but they, they are happy with some of these younger players that they have, uh, you know whether it's Basham, uh, you know they're they're happy with Kyle Phillips, this undrafted kid, uh, and, and of course some of the guys that played well in, in the preseason, Langi and Louvu. So uh, I, I I can't say for certain that Brandon Copeland is going to be uh, activated for this game, but uh, you know I would be surprised if Chris Herndon isn't part of the plan.
4: Adam Gase spoke to the media on Monday following up on some of the things he said Sunday after the game. Anything interesting come out of that?
3: Well, the one thing that jumped out to me was that he was really asked a softball question about whether he would have done anything differently or tried anything new to try to get the Jets out of this malaise. You know, Anything over the past four games differently. And I thought he gave the worst imaginable response when he said that uh, you know, looking back on it, uh, he doesn't think that he, he would have done anything differently, which is odd to say, you know, given the fact that the Jets have only had three scoring drives out of 50. And Even saying that out loud is, is really like, incredible. Three scoring drives out of 50, 17 offensive points in 16 quarters. The Jets are last in the NFL in total yards per game, points per game, yards per play, passing yards per game. Third down efficiency and they're thirtieth in rushing yards. That doesn't, you know, that that doesn't make sense really. Even if you think of terrible teams, the fact that they could be this poor in so many different areas, and then for the coach to say he doesn't think that he, you know, he he would have done anything differently is ludicrous. Frankly, I, I don't know if he's you know, just trying to put on a brave face publicly, or if he's delusional. Uh, either way, I, I I think it's a bad look.
4: I'm not saying that Adam Gase has done a great job by any stretch, but you talked about getting more creative with Luke Falk and trying different things. What exactly is it that you're suggesting he should have done?
3: Well, there's a, a bunch of stuff. I think if you look at things fundamentally, uh, the way football is played right now, and these, you know, this isn't uh, you know, a hard and fast rule by any stretch, but typically creative guys uh, pass the ball on first down. You know, this isn't uh, and establish the run 1980s mindset. That's not to say that you can't win games establishing the run, because there's a lot of creative guys who run all over the field from time to time uh, who are some of the most respected offensive coaches in the league. Uh, If you just look back to Monday night when Kyle Shanahan, he ran all over the Browns' uh, defense. Uh, But he he did those runs in very creative ways. Now, he used 21 personnel, which is uh, using a fullback and one tight end because they've got a really good fullback in Kyle use But if you look at the designs on those runs, they weren't your, you know, turn around handed to the tailback type of run. And I think that's what you've seen from Adam Gase to this point. Uh, you know, he tried to sprinkle in Jonathan Harrison a couple times as a fullback, but by and large, uh, it, it was just not a very creative thought process. In my opinion, he ran the ball, uh, almost twice as much as he, he passed it on first down. And think about this, Scott. They had a bye week to prepare for this game, so an additional a week. So we're talking about you know a week and a half, two weeks to prepare for a game. The first play out of the shoot, turn around, hand it to Le'Veon Bell, no game. Second play, turn around, hand it to Le'Veon Bell, one-yard game. So he's already in a third and long situation. Well, what did Adam Gase lament during the past couple weeks? He lamented, problems in execution that resulted in third and longs. And when you get in third and longs, according to Adam Gase, you can't win you know, with this with current set of characters. Well, he put the Jets in a third and long a minute into the game with two predictable run calls to Le'Veon Bell that netted one yard. So he's in a third and nine. What happens, you know, the Eagles, they, they blitz, they, they predictably sack Luke Falk, and then you got a three and out. Uh, you know, later in the game, uh, I really did agree with the idea of going for it on 4th and 1. I thought that was aggressive. I applauded Case for that. This is the type of game where you got to do things like that. What I thought was terrible, however, was the play call. He called a, a pass uh, to Le'Veon Bell uh, out in the flat. Uh, it, that's a, a one-option type of situation. If Bell is not open... If things don't go right, like things didn't go right with uh, a free rusher and Brandon Graham coming at Falk, you're screwed. You don't have uh, multiple options. There is no second option on that play. It's a, a narrow-minded, uh, you know, poorly designed play for that situation. And what did you see? You saw, you know, you saw uh, the the linebacker undercut uh, or jump the route. It was a poor throw, pick six. And they're you know they're in a, they're in a hole so I, I didn't agree with that and then later in the game it was fourth and four from I don't I want to say I don't know 37 38 yard line something like that uh, at that point you're down two touchdowns you go for it again you know you're undermanned without your starting quarterback you go for it instead it didn't seem like Gates knew exactly what he wanted to do because if you remember the Jets you know, decided to kick a 55-yard field goal, but they called a timeout. They burned a timeout, wasted a timeout, essentially. Before that, they had Sam Ficken try a 55-yard field goal into the wind. Obviously, he wasn't close. It was a miss. It was just a poor decision. I mean, those are types of decisions that have nothing to do with anything other than Adam Gase. You can't blame anybody else other than Adam Gase for those decisions that I just outlined. And that's what's disheartening, you know, and and I think – if you're a Jet fan, that is what should be troubling. Yes, the offense is going to not be as good with Luke Falk uh, uh, than it would, as it would with Sam Darnold. Nobody's debating that. But they're not playing competitive football on offense. And I, I know I touched on this last week, but look around the league. Whether it's Jacksonville and gardner Minshew, uh, that, that game came down to the last play before, uh, before uh, Jacksonville lost. Look at Kyle Allen. Kyle Allen's career path is very similar to Luke Falk. He was a practice squad quarterback all of last year until week 17. He got one start last year, comes this year, and they're winning games. They're competitive. Uh, their offense is, you know, if you look at the skill positions, it's very similar to the jet skill positions. Luke, Kyle Allen has Christian McCaffrey. Luke Falk has Le'Veon Bell. The receivers are, you know, youngish-type players, but no dynamic player, whether you're talking about D.J. Moore, who I think can be a good player, or Curtis Samuel versus Robbie Anderson. You know, it's a very similar structure on offense, yet somehow the Panthers are, are competitive and winning games, and the Jets are, you know, looking like a, a high school outfit. So that, to me, is most troubling. And I didn't mention... You know, I had to mention some other situations, but the fact that the Jets are not competitive, it, 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 that is the, the big red flag for me uh, for the first quarter of the season.
1: It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous
2: with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say.
0: even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba
1: life. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Play like a jet. Play
0: like a
4: jet. I'm in no way defending Gase. I don't think he's done a great job so far, but we were both there in the stadium, Manish, so we got to see everything from all angles, and Luke Falk was about as bad of a quarterback as you can be. I understand the idea of trying to mix it up But no matter when he was throwing He just wasn't getting the job done He couldn't see the field He was hesitant He was holding the ball too long As Brian Baldinger likes to say He was seeing ghosts The offensive line wasn't able to block The receivers were getting open a fair amount of the time Luke Falk just couldn't see them And in fairness to Kyle Allen here I do think that the Panthers have a better team But they were also playing against easier competition Luke Falk had to play against the Panthers Hats and the Eagles on the road. So, yeah, they could have done some things, and I'm not denying that. I don't think that the play calling's been great, but I think there's a limit to really what you could have done no matter what, because when your offensive line is this bad and your quarterback is this bad, you're kind of shuffling deck chairs on the Titanic. Don't you see that to an extent?
3: Yeah, I look, I look at it this way. This is the way that I look at it. I've said, I, I think I've said this before. You know, people can think of excuses. Uh, if, if they want uh, excuses, are readily available. Anybody can find an excuse. Uh, the Eagles had a NFL low three sacks entering this game. Uh, were they better than that? Yes, they they were obviously better than that. I mean, they're not as good as ten sacks a game better, but they were obviously better than that. Are there issues on the offensive line? Absolutely. There's no denying that they had two new starters in there. One of them being a rookie at right tackle. Uh, there are ways. To roll your quarterback out, you don't have to have uh, Kyler Murray back there to roll a guy out of the pocket. You can do things to mitigate some of those offensive line concerns. Now, you're not going to eradicate them. You know They're, they're going to pop up. But you can mitigate some of that with your play design. And then I will go back to what I firmly believe, and, and this has been a, this was a hot-button topic all of last week. I thought it was coaching malpractice practice not to give Luke Falk first-team reps uh, until – He was shoehorned in on Friday after Sam Darnold wasn't medically cleared. People on the other side of the debate say, well, you could give Luke Falk reps until the Cows come home. It's not going to matter. I think that is patently unfair. He has one career NFL start. I don't know what Luke Falk's going to be. I don't know if he'll be in the NFL in two years. I don't know if he'll be a backup. I don't know if he'll be a guy bouncing around the league. I cannot say that for certain. I don't think anybody in the NFL can say that for certain because if you asked anyone in the NFL outside of Jacksonville who Gardner Minshew was, I can guarantee you that more people than not wouldn't have, would have no idea that this guy was you know, a productive quarterback in college, a six-round rookie. And look at what he's doing. Well, how is he doing that? Well, how, can, how can that be? A, a guy who is a six-round rookie playing well and playing productive football part of that is coaching, part of that is play designing, part of that is preparation. If you do not give a quarterback who's a six-round player uh, in a second season one year of experience learning Adam Gase's offense but only one career start. If you don't give that guy maximum practice opportunities to uh, try to attack a particular team in this instance the Eagles, you're going to get a miserable result. You're going to get a lot you're going to get a lot of what we saw on Sunday, so the idea of Adam GaSe not adequately preparing this guy is nonsensical to me. And the notion that Adam GaSe said after the game that that Luke Falk had plenty of practice reps over the last several weeks, you know, and that wasn't an issue, is ludicrous. It's ludicrous on every level. It's insulting to any fan's intelligence to suggest that Luke Falk got enough reps. He got ex- quote unquote extended scout team reps on Wednesday and Thursday. That does nothing for a guy with his lack of experience to prepare for a game. So would they, would they have lost the game in Philly? Yes, I think they would have lost the game regardless of whether Luke Falk practiced with the starters one day, two days, or three days. I, however, am not the head coach of the New York Jets. The New York Jets head coach cannot think like that. If he adopts that mindset, he should not be the head coach of the New York Jets, let alone any coach. Uh, For any NFL team, you need to best prepare your team to win the game that week. Clearly, Adam Gase did not do that.
4: See, here's where you and I are going to differ on this, Manish. I think that Adam Gase was doing that, and here's what I mean. I think he thought there was about a 50% chance that Sam Darnold was going to play, and he realized that his only chance to beat the Eagles was if a healthy Sam Darnold was out there and fully prepared. So he rolled the dice and he gave the first team reps to Darnold, hoping that he would be cleared. When he wasn't, what are you going to do? That's just the chance that you take when you give those reps to Darnold. I think he realized that if he gave all those reps to Falk, he still had no chance to win. And so he took a calculated gamble that didn't pay off. But the alternative was to give all the first team reps or a lot of the first team reps to Falk. Then if Darnold gets cleared, maybe he's not as ready as he can be. Even if Falk gets all those first-team reps, it's only a marginal improvement. You can't expect him to move mountains overnight. So that's where I'm coming from with this. I do think that he felt he was putting his team in the best possible position to win. Unfortunately, it didn't work out because Darnold didn't get cleared. But that's how I see it. I think he realized that that was his only opportunity to win. He went all in on it. Didn't work out. So be it.
3: See, this is where I we're, we're, we're going to disagree even more. If Sam Darnold were medically cleared, I still don't believe that it made sense to play him because he had not lifted a single weight. He had not been cleared to lift weights, and he won't be cleared to lift weights until he gets medically cleared. So what kind of Sam Darnold are are we getting here? You know, you and I are talking today about, you know, Sam Darnold plays – Uh, Can we expect a a 75% version, an 80% version? Well, What version would we have gotten last week when the guy did no real conditioning uh, for three and a half, four weeks before getting medically cleared? So I think it was going to be a reckless call regardless of whether he got medically cleared only because you've got to allow him to get prepared for the game outside of just practice. That means taking care of his body, getting his body right as well. I just thought that Adam Gates was hoping against hope. Uh, that's a reckless gamble from a desperate coach who wants to win his first game. That's the, that's the reality of it. If this team was you know, 2-2, two two, or I guess they would have been 2-1 uh, heading into that game, I, I don't believe he would have taken this route. But he did this because he he was desperate. Not that the team is desperate, because if the team doesn't make the playoffs this year, will people be disappointed? Sure. Uh, you know, I don't know how many people thought they would make the playoffs. I thought they would fall just short. But Adam Gates has not won a game uh, dating back to you know December of 2018. He is 0-7 in his last seven games as a head coach. His offenses have averaged 11 points per game during that seven-game stretch. He has lost those seven games by an average of 17 points. His offenses have four touchdowns in 28 quarters. Uh, he is a desperate coach, and I think that this decision, this you you called it a calculated gamble, I call it a reckless gamble, was driven by the fact that he himself is desperate to win a football game as a head coach again.
4: That's a separate argument, and I'm certainly sympathetic to the idea that Donald shouldn't have played anyway. I've gone back and forth on that. But I think in terms of Best chance to win. There's absolutely no question that Sam Darnold, if he was medically cleared, would have given the Jets a better chance to win. I don't think there's any debating that. No matter how sapped of energy he is, he's going to be a better opportunity for you to win out there quarterback than Luke Falk. I think we can clearly see that now. So it's definitely a different argument as to whether or not you're rushing him back or it's safe to play him or it's smart to play him for the reasons that you said. But if we're talking strictly about best chance to win, no question that Sam Darnold was the better chance to win. And, of course, if he was medically cleared, he wouldn't have been at any more risk of major injury to that spleen than he would have been before the Monos. So I see where you're coming from, but I definitely think that Gase was proceeding in a manner in which he felt that he was going to be giving the Jets their only chance to win. He rolled the dice. It didn't work out. And like I said, I know what you're saying, that giving Falk more reps would have helped. But I don't think it was going to help enough to turn him from what we saw in Philadelphia into something good enough to compete against the Eagles. I just think that's
3: unrealistic. I guess we'll never know.
4: One <laughs> <laughs> of life's great mysteries.
3: <laughs> you know, oh, look, I have been so critical of Adam Gates. I believe it's completely warranted that you know the, the facts back that up. Uh, all of that being said, Scott, there's wins out there for this team in the second half of the season. Mm-hmm. Uh, Stan Arnold will be back, uh, yeah, at full strength, at, you know, at some point soon. Uh, this schedule really lines up well. I mean, you could not have picked an easier schedule for as daunting as these first six games appear on paper. They are playing the, the you know, the garbage of the NFL. All these teams who haven't won games, <laughs> they're playing, they're playing against them, and they're playing the Dolphins twice, uh, in, over the last, you know, Half of the season, so I think there, there's wins out there for this team, and I think they're gonna. They're, I think they're gonna win that. You know, when I say a bunch of games, it's all relative. I think they could. You know, I think they could run off a good amount of games in the second half of the season because, you know, I believed all along if Sam Darnold had not gotten sick, the best case scenario for this team after six weeks was going to be two and four. I, I believe that they would have been two and four. You now I was going back and forth, one and five, two and four. I settled in at two and four. And my final prediction for this team before the season was nine and seven. So if I thought they were going two and four, and then fi- and then finishing with a nine and seven record, I, you know, I thought they were going to really get hot, you know, in the second half of the season. And I still believe that they can do so, even with some, with a lot of these issues that we've seen in different areas on the team. Uh, I think they can, you know, for lack of a better phrase, I think they can catch fire here, uh, you know, after the Patriot game. And I think it won't manifest itself into that nine and seven record like I thought. But uh, I would not be stunned. Maybe this sounds outrageous, but I would not be stunned if this team finished 8-8. Now, they're going to have to beat Dallas uh, on Sunday, but uh, I I would not be surprised if they finished with a 500 record.
1: It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up
2: the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say.
4: I've been extremely critical of Adam Gase, even going back to the hiring. In fact, at the time, Manish, you were praising the hire, and I was going scorched earth on it. I haven't changed my opinion on Adam Gase at all. All I'm saying is I'm trying to be as fair as possible and say let's give this guy the rest of the year and see what he does when he has his players back. And then once the season's over, we can fairly judge. Because I think we can both agree on this. There's zero chance that Adam Gase is getting fired during the season anyway. There's probably not a huge chance that he's getting fired at the end of the year regardless, but he's definitely not getting fired during the season. So we might as well just see how this plays out. As the great Hunter S. Thompson once said, buy the ticket, take the ride, right?
3: Yeah, look, I understand fans are upset. I I, I totally get that. Uh, They're not firing Adam Gase during the season. They should not fire Adam Gase during the season. Mm -hmm. Uh, Again, this is all... Uh, assuming that nothing happens off the field, you know, that that takes it to a whole different level. But just from a football perspective, (laughs) you know, for for as much as I've hammered Adam Gase, I am not advocating for him to be fired during the season. And I've been consistent in saying that I don't think it's good business to fire a guy uh, after one season as well. Look, if they finish 0-16, which they're not going to do, but if for whatever reason they finish 0-16, okay, then I guess, you know, everything is on the table, uh, but I, I don't think it makes any sense. I don't think it's good business on any level to fire coaches that, like that. And you're you absolutely not going to fire a coach in the middle of this first season based just on poor results. That doesn't that doesn't make sense. I'm actually trying to think if that's happened, and I, I don't believe that's ever happened. I could be wrong, but that that hasn't happened. That should not happen. Adam Gase does not deserve that. Uh, as you said, you know, let's get a, a, a bigger picture evaluation of him after the season. My job, however, is to hold him accountable in the moment. Uh, I can't go to bed and and wake up, uh, you know, on January 2nd and then say, okay, now I'm going to make my assessment of Adam Gates. I do have to evaluate him and the other coaches and the other players in real time. You know, the, the, that's my job. That's the media's job. So, uh, you know, if I'm being honest, uh, you know, at this point in time in the first week of October, uh, he's been absolutely terrible. Now, he's been saddled with some injuries, but, you know, as we've discussed before, uh, the NFL is all about injuries, and you know, it's all about how do you adapt to those injuries, so the Jets aren't alone in that, uh, and, you know, as I said earlier, the Cowboys are coming to town without their two starting tackles. No one's going to feel sorry for, themselves, for for that team. They You know, the Jets clearly should, should not care that Dak Prescott's going to have two backup tackles protecting him. You know, they've dealt with their own issues, and the Cowboys shouldn't care that Sam Darnold is in full strength, or not playing, or missing uh, C.J. Mosley. You know, none of that stuff matters. Uh, you know, it, it matters for excuse making, but the reality is that teams have to adjust and adapt to guys who get hurt all the time. And uh, you know, a- Adam Gase you know, deserves an opportunity here to to see what he can do when some of his guys get healthy. And as I said before, uh, I think he is a guy who has got really good ideas. You know, there's a reason why. I, I, I like to hire. He is a he is a smart guy. He, he he's not he's not a he's not a dummy. He, you know, he's made some really curious decisions. Uh you know, I have to admit that over these first 4 games, but he he does have good ideas. And I think if he can channel those ideas in the right way and uh and, and evolve as a leader, that uh, he's got a lot of work to do in that area to be honest with you, but if he can make those changes, I you know there's something there. That, that could pay off, but uh, but again, uh, the, what he has shown to this point has, has not, been, uh, it's not been good, to be honest.
4: It's funny because a lot of people are focused on the play calling, and I'm not going to sit here and say that he's done a good job with that, but I think going back to his Miami days, that wasn't really the big problem with Adam Gase. The big problem with Adam Gase was all the other things that go into being a head coach because there's a big difference between being an offensive coordinator and a play caller at being a head coach And so you saw a lot of people step up and say nice things about Gase But if you looked at who was saying it It was mostly guys that played for Gase when he was an offensive coordinator He had a lot of problems with the players And everything surrounding the head coaching position Besides calling plays when he was in Miami And so to that end, Manish You look at, like you said, the Jets With an easier schedule down the stretch After they may start off 0-5, 0-6, 0-7, whatever it is And you wonder, can Adam Gase keep this locker room together so that they can make a run at the end of the season? And I think that's going to be a big part of how we judge him now is whether or not he has learned from the disaster in Miami. And he is able to galvanize this locker room even under terrible circumstances. And I believe you reported this. The players had a player-only meeting. So this is going to be the first of what could be a few of them. If Adam Gase loses these guys and they start having players-only meetings where they're largely complaining about him, then it's going to be a problem. So I'm keeping my fingers crossed that that doesn't happen. To the best of your knowledge, what went on during this players-only meeting?
3: Well, look, I thought it was a good idea. I I actually thought they probably should have done that before they broke for the bye. But, you know, whatever. It's the same thing. It's, you know, it's not anything groundbreaking it's just a let's stick together type of mentality and essentially it's the defensive players kind of saying look we have faith that the guys on the other side are gonna gonna pick it up and I think part of that faith of course is rooted in the fact that Sam Darnold you know is ultimately going to be their starting quarterback for the remainder of the season so uh, it'd be easy for the defensive players to to be upset, clearly no offensive players have any reason to be mad at the defense, uh, given how things have played out. Uh, what I thought was interesting is that Leonard Williams did say, of all the guys who spoke, Ryan Khalil is a, a guy whose message resonated with with Williams at least. And Khalil said, you know, he's a guy who's gone to the Super Bowl. He's also been on a two win team, so he's seen both sides of the spectrum. Uh, and he himself is not playing to the standard that that we're used to seeing from him. Uh, individually, but uh, it, it's really at this stage of the season. You're one quarter into the season. It's tough to to jump ship on a new coach and unless something is completely, uh, you know, off. You know, something really wrong. I mean, there are obviously things that are wrong with what's going on, but something would have to be just really catastrophic to for guys to. To start having infighting, you know, four games into a new, new regime. So the idea of sticking together and the idea of understanding that, hey, you're one quarter into the season, just like and, as, and I thought that Leonard Williams explained this really well. Just like in a game, you know, if you're down seven nothing, if you're down 14 nothing after one quarter, you know, you don't pack up and go home. You know, you've got three quarters left to win that game, and the Jets players are looking at it like we've got three quarters of the season left. to to win this season. And what does win this season mean? Uh, Maybe it means uh, getting to eight wins. Maybe it means getting to nine wins. Maybe it means going on something historic and making uh, a a viable playoff run. Uh, I don't know. I think winning has different meanings to different players, but clearly being better than what they have shown to this point is is an objective for these guys. And again, I think that's a reflection of strong leadership. So I do commend the players for that. Uh, I want to see... You know what this locker room looks like at halftime of the season you know after the Cowboys Patriots Jaguars and Dolphins game where are they record wise where are they with their head coach and their confidence in their head coach uh you know you want to take the temperature at that point as well but uh, you know at this stage you know being 0-4 and and non-competitive frankly for three of those four games certainly the the last two weeks uh you know I, I think that the players have the right mindset I think uh, that they're doing everything that they can in that perspective. Uh, you know, obviously they have to play better because that's what this is about. It's about winning, and in order to win, you got to play better. But uh, you know, things aren't fracturing inside the locker room right now. Uh, hopefully, for the organization, they don't fracture at all during the season. But uh, but that's kind of where you know that's kind of where the players are at. Uh, and again, I, I think it's a good thing. Uh, you know, just going back real quick to what you said about Gase and leadership and, you know, some players liking him, some players not, and play calling not really being an issue. Uh, you know, some players did have issues with his play calling. I guess, you know, no play caller is perfect in that respect. Uh, uh, just another troubling uh, thing that came out of the locker room the other day. Was what Le'Veon Bell said. Yep. Uh, when I asked him specifically about Luke Falk and, you know, how, how challenging it was for a guy in a second start to play given the, you know, circumstances leading up to the week. Uh, he actually said that, you know, Falk did reasonably well. Uh, there were some issues, however, with players lining up, uh, after the team broke the huddle. So Falk would spit out the play and then for whatever reason, guys weren't sure where to line up. And I had noticed in game that there, Marius Thomas had a, a, an issue a couple times, and I thought that was odd only because he had been in Adam Gase's system for such a long time and thrived in that system. But uh, it wasn't just, you know, it wasn't just Thomas. It was like you know, there were other players who were having issues being lined up. So the question that I have to immediately ask is, well, why is that happening? Because to me, that's a coaching problem. You know, I don't know if that's an Adam Gase problem. I don't know if it flows, you know, below Adam Gase. I don't know what the issue is, but there's cl- a, clearly a disconnect. When players aren't unsure where to line up after a play is properly called in the huddle. Uh, and, and I asked Gase about that on Monday. He said there was not an alignment issue, which runs in contrary to what Bell said. Bell said they had problems lining up. Gase, uh, specifically said that guys had, you know, some confusion in terms of what depth of route they were running, uh, you know, things of that nature. And that, to me, that just means that they don't understand what the play is. Mm -hmm. They're hearing the play, but they don't know what the play is. So doesn't that come down to teaching? Mm -hmm. Because the only other alternative, if if you, you know, if you're not saying that's a teaching problem or a coaching problem, the only other answer is that the player isn't, you know, a particular player isn't smart enough to understand the play. So which one is it? Are the players not smart enough to understand the play, or are they not properly being coached as to what to do during the play? It's one or the other, and neither one of them is good.
4: Yeah, there's no question about it, and that's a reflection on Gase. I was actually going to bring that up. Those are the kind of things that are on him no matter what. I don't care who your quarterback is. I don't care how bad your offensive line is. That's a coaching issue, and that's got to get fixed quick.
3: Yeah, yes. (laughs) You're right. It does have to get fixed quick, or they're never going to (laughs) win. They're not going to be competitive. It It doesn't matter if Aaron Rodgers is a quarterback. If guys don't know what the play means... Then how are you going to function as an offense? It's ludicrous to me. It's it's really unbelievable. When Bell said that, we didn't have you know enough time to kind of delve into that, but he said that, and my you know my ears just kind of perked up, and I I just could not believe that you know in week five, coming off a bye, that players didn't know either where to line up or what to do on a specific play isn't that why you practice mm-hmm. it, are, what are coaches doing what is is Gage doing if he's not teaching him uh, teaching his players what to do on a specific play that to me is elementary stuff it's basic stuff it's stuff that you should have already installed during OTAs you know before mini camp before training camp I, I, I don't get it and, and again it, it's really either the coaches the coach is not properly teaching the players or the players, are not smart enough to understand. Uh, And I don't want to believe that it's the players aren't smart enough to understand. Uh, These guys have been playing football their entire lives. I think they understand. It's just, are they being taught the proper way? And and as you said, I I can't look at this particular situation in any other way other than than to conclude that's an indictment on gaze.
4: Yeah, there's no question about it. And like I said, Communication was never his strong point, and that's something that he's going to have to fix, and to me, the big test for him is going to be once he gets his players back and once the schedule gets easier, let's see what happens. If he's able to hold this team together, if we stop seeing sloppy stuff like you were just talking about along the lines of what Le'Veon Bell said, if we stop seeing penalties, if we stop seeing undisciplined things— that's when we're really going to know if Adam Gase has grown at all from his time in Miami. Early returns, not great, but I just want to be fair to Adam Gase and make sure that he's getting judged properly because, as we've both said, he was brought in here and one of the major jobs that he was told he was going to be responsible for was the development of Sam Darnold. So let's see if he can take Sam Darnold to the next level. Manish, I've been clear that I think that Adam Gase deserves a clean slate here in New York. And so even though things haven't gotten off to a good start for him, I do want to see how he handles things the rest of the way. But one thing that he's definitely going to have to improve upon from his time in Miami was how he handles critics. He didn't do a good job of that in Miami. It's starting to veer in that direction here in New York. And the organization seems to be following suit, making it pretty difficult on the people that cover the team.
3: Yeah, it's interesting because on Monday's conference call with Gates, the team intentionally tried to limit questions from those people who have been particularly critical uh, of Gates. Uh, you know, they make the judgment call on what is critical and what's too critical. Uh, it's really a page out of James Dolan's playbook. Uh, you, know, you know how the Knicks handle the media, and uh, it's extremely odd, and it really reflects poorly on the Knicks. Uh, But uh, the Jets have somebody who is very familiar with James Dolan, their senior vice president of communications and content, Eric Gelfand, who oversees all of these conference calls. He oversees the media relations department. He spent 12 years working with Dolan at MSG, and apparently they believe that the best tactic uh, to deal with people who are critical of the coach and of the team is to try to silence them as best as they can. So it's an interesting dynamic because the conference call setup is not an open conference call it it used to be they've recently changed it uh, a few weeks ago in the past you know reporters can you know ask Gates whatever question they want it's an open line the jets now have a system where you have to you know press star three i believe to get in the queue Uh, but what they were doing yesterday strategically was that if you asked, uh uh, you know if you wanted to request a question you would put in star three everybody got one question minimum uh, they can't make it obvious that they're trying to freeze out anybody in particular. So everyone got one question. However, if you were critical uh, of the team, c- clearly I've been the, the biggest critic of the team. Uh, they limited your opportunity to ask a, uh, a question to one time, whereas they went back to other uh, outlets three times. One, one outlet got six questions. I mean, it's all based on how they view your reporting. So if they're not happy with your reporting, because you're being critical of an 0-14 that has the worst offense in the NFL by every objective statistical measure, they're going to try to silence you. They're trying to muzzle you. This is really not the first time they've done it. That's why I said it's not entirely surprising. Uh, they, they attempted to do that in training camp by restricting access if you were overly critical. Uh, that attempt failed, uh, so they're trying a different avenue. It's just counterproductive. You know, The bottom line is how are they producing – It kind of goes back to what Adam Gates said, if you remember, in the offseason, which is that, hey, all that matters is wins and losses. The reality is that if you're not winning games, if you are losing, and if you are among the worst teams in the NFL, and let's be honest, to this point in the NFL season, the Jets are one of the worst teams in the NFL. They're one of the few teams that hasn't won a game. So if you're a reporter, and if you're an objective reporter, you have to chronicle what's happening. And what's happening is that this team has been saddled by injuries, yes. Other teams have been saddled by injuries have, and have overcome them, but this team is not producing. The team is overly sensitive to that criticism. It's a bad way of conducting your business, in my opinion. I don't work for the team, however, so I don't make those decisions. But uh, it really comes across as thin-skinned. It comes across, frankly, as vindictive uh, when you take that approach. Uh, but again, the person who oversees you know, these dealings is Eric Gelfand. He had worked 12 years for James Dolan at MSG and clearly, uh, you know, every objective person would tell you that the, the PR strategy of the New York Knicks and James Dolan is faulty, uh, and, you know, faulty at worst and, uh, really stupid at best.
4: These are the kind of things that you can get away with when you're winning all the time. Bill Belichick can do whatever he wants with the media and no one's going to care because the Patriots are consistently winning. But when things aren't going well, everything is going to get scrutinized. And so the Jets better find a way to start winning fast. Or these are things that are going to start to be looked at in a negative light, not just by reporters, but but also by fans and members of the public, because it's just going to be looked at as a bad organization trying to sweep things under the rug.
3: No, absolutely. And and the reality is that they're not looking at what's actually happening. They're looking at it through their lens and they, they have a website, they have in-house reporters that can uh, put out the team propaganda. I understand that it's a team owned website. They can do whatever they want. But again, you know, if you work at the New York Daily News or other outlets that cover the team, uh, you're not employed by Woody Johnson. Uh, you have to report the truth. You have to report objectively. And uh, it's unfortunate that people who are in a decision-making positions like Eric Gelfan have decided to basically take out the you know, the team's failings on the field on reporters who are chronicling those failings. That's our job to chronicle what's happening. If the jets were four and I would be praising the jets, uh, probably louder than anybody else covering the team. I know that everybody else would be praising the jets if things are going well. And if things do turn around and they win games, as I believe that they will, I will be praising the jets, but I cannot pretend that things are going well when they're own four. And, uh, it's a you know it's a sensitive topic for some people in the organization. It's unfortunate because you know level-headed people would would be uh, thinking, hey, we're not playing well. We deserve the criticism. Uh, that's not the the approach the Jets are taking. It's a very arrogant approach. You know you had touched on with they were winning. Uh, there's an arrogance uh, up in New England. Bill Belichick has you know all those Super Bowl rings to say I don't need. You know, I, I don't need you guys. I can do whatever I want because I win and I win big. The Jets don't win. They lose. They often lose big. Uh, they're a losing franchise. Uh, that's not me taking a shot at them. That's just reality. Uh, they haven't made the playoffs now in nine years running. We'll see if, you know, if they break that eight-year streak this year, but it doesn't look promising right now. Uh, they're failing, and we are chronicling that they are failing and they are upset. That we are chronicling that they are failing. So they are trying to take it out the only way they can, which is try to muzzle the people who are being critical of them. I think it's a Bush League move. I think it's a a Mickey Mouse way of handling things. Uh, You know, real organizations, winning organizations, successful organizations can't be arrogant, like like I said, the Patriots are. But, uh, you know, there's a professional way of handling your business. And this is not a professional way of handling your business.
4: One last thing that I wanted to ask you about, Manish, before you go. This is more of a funny thing, but it was something that you did post on Twitter, so I wanted to talk about it. You wrote that the Jets probably regret trading Darren Lee right now because that was the first thing that Adam Gase did when he assumed full control in the interim before they went out and got Joe Douglas, but after they fired Mike McCagnon. And I looked this up. The Chiefs are the 25th ranked defense in the league. Lee is only playing an average of less than 25% of the defensive snaps in each game. He's playing mostly on special teams. For whatever it's worth, there's an advanced stats site called Scout.com that has him ranked as the 88th best inside linebacker. Also from our buddy Michael Nania, he says PFF has Darren Lee ranked as the fourth worst linebacker in the league. He's allowing the most yards per cover snap among linebackers. We already know that he's not good at run defense, pass rushing, or tackling. So if he's not doing well in coverage... There's not really much he's going to add here. I don't think he would be an upgrade over Blake Cashman or Neville Hewitt, let alone <laughs> the injured Avery Williamson or the injured C.J. Mosley. So I understand that that was just a fun tweet you put out there, but come on, man. Darren Lee?
3: <laughs> Wait, he's 88. So that he's actually improved since he left the Jets, right? <laughs> right? best <ADS, ADS>, <laughs> linebacker. My, my point. <laughs> look, I do, I don't, people got all over me over that. I wasn't saying that Darren Lee... Should be starting. Uh, And frankly, there's no use for Darren Lee if C.J. Mosley is healthy. He clearly, I think, would help at least the depth of the linebacker position. Uh, You know, that was a tongue-in-cheek type of tweet. Uh, No, I don't believe that Darren Lee would solve the Jets' problems. Uh, No, Blake Cashman has done some good things. Blake Cashman has also made some predictable rookie mistakes. Mm -hmm. Neville Hewitt, I think, uh, you know, has done. uh, He's done. He's done all right. Uh, You know, there's some, some some mistakes that he's made as well. Uh, having Darren Lee there, uh, you know, as an additional guy while C.J. Mosley was hurt, uh, would not hurt would would not hurt that room. So uh, no, I, I, by no by no means am I saying that Darren Lee should be starting. Uh, that was just uh, me watching the Kansas City Chiefs game on Sunday night, and it popped into my head. Hey, you know what? They, they have no depth at that position with their you know their best uh, linebacker. Actually, they're, they're two guys out with with Williamson. Uh, you know, having him would have, having Lee. It would have helped the depth at that position, but uh, no, I'm not saying I'm not saying that Darren Lee would have solved their problems, uh, you know, at the linebacker spot by any means.
4: Unless Darren Lee could somehow get converted to cornerback and take over for Tremaine Johnson, I don't know how much help he's yeah. going to give the Jets right now. You
3: know, I'm glad you brought up Tremaine Johnson. We haven't even talked about him. He, he started after you know being benched for two games. You know, I thought that Nate Harrison had done reasonably well. Uh, I thought he played much better in, in his first game, the Cleveland game, than he did against the Patriots. But, uh, you know, no real explanation as to why the switch back to Johnson was made from Gase, other than to say that they were happy with how Tremaine uh, had practiced recently. Uh, if you watched the game in Philadelphia, which I know you did, nice. Tremaine Johnson did not particularly play well. He had two penalties. I think he was one of the two penalties on the first five snaps of the game had a penalty later in the game. He actually had a, an egregious defensive holding call that the, the refs did not uh, call him on. And then the, the, the Eagles actually, if you remember, challenged uh, a pass interference and I guess he technically held uh, the wide receiver. I don't remember if it was Robbie Anderson. I'm not exactly sure who it was. But, uh, he technically held the, the receiver when Carson Wentz still had the ball in his hands. I think that's why Uh, the, the Eagles did not win that challenge, but it was obviously a penalty. I didn't think that Tremaine Johnson played that well at at all. So they, they're clearly not happy with uh, Nate Hairston for whatever reason. So, you know, I'd be curious to see, you know, how that shakes out moving forward. Everybody, uh, when I say everybody, I mean a lot of Jet fans, I should say, uh, were, were praising Adam Gase. For benching Tremaine Johnson and not worrying about the big contract and saying, hey, it doesn't matter how much money you make. If you're underperforming, you're not going to play. Well, you know, that lasted all of two games. And then they brought Johnson back, and then Johnson didn't play well against Philly. So, you know, what are the repercussions now? Uh, you know, I'd be interested to see how that shakes out.
4: I watched Nate Hairston during warm-ups. He looked just fine. I assumed he was going to start. And then I saw Tremaine Johnson playing, and I texted a few people and said, what's going on? Is Nate Hairston dead? Why am I watching Tremaine Johnson out there? And then, of course, all throughout the game, I had a hoarse voice driving home from Philadelphia, Manish, and a big part of the reason was because I was yelling stuff at Tremaine Johnson.
3: Tremaine <laughs> applicable... Johnson likes to play off the ball. You know, he likes to give his guys a cushion. I know part of that is scheme. Uh, part of that's out of his hands. That's you what know, Greg well, Williams and Denard Wilson uh call i i understand all that uh he did not play well i don't think there's any way you can say a guy who had two penalties probably should have been called for at least one other penalty you know play particularly well uh i you know i don't know what nate harrison did to deserve getting benched uh it would have been a homecoming for nate harrison he played at temple and temple plays their home games at lincoln financial field so he's got the lay of the land you know that would have been an advantage for him <laughs> but the jets decided uh That Tremaine was a a better way to go. You know, we haven't. You know, we spent most of this time, Scott, talking about the offense. I thought the defense. uh, uh, You know, I know I touched on it a a bit earlier. I thought the defense played outside that first drive and a few other plays. I thought they played reasonably well. They had, you know, they gave up the touchdown drive to begin the game. They had two penalties on the first five snaps. There was a a really strange decision to have Kyle Phillips cover Miles Sanders, the, the Eagles' fastest running back, on a wheel route. And uh, I think that went for, like, 36 yards. Uh, The only other play that I disagreed with like that comes to mind was the Zach Ertz 11-yard touchdown. Uh, They gave him a free release uh, off the snap, and uh, it was basically pitch and catch with Carson Wentz, caught it at maybe the one-yard line or something before diving in. So, uh, you know, I I didn't quite understand that decision by Greg Williams. But by and large, you know, they they kept Carson Wentz at bay. Uh, They they did a really nice job – you know they're not playing great football. I, I know it looks great in relative uh, in relative to the offense, but they're playing good enough to win football games. So they do deserve better. You know I thought they played well, and you know outside of the first three drives in in New England, as I said, when they gave up three touchdowns, that's inexcusable. That's terrible. Outside of that, from that point until now, they played good enough to to win games. The offense should be good enough. To, to win a game uh, when your defense plays like that. Again, they're not an elite defense. They're not a great defense by any stretch, but they're playing better. So I'm very curious to see how they play against, uh, again, a banged-up Cowboys uh, offensive line, uh, a Cowboys team that does have weapons, Zeke Elliott, Amari Cooper, Michael Gallup. Uh, you know, he, I guess you even got to account for an old man, uh, Jason Witten. But uh, but they're, they're playing well, and I, I'm actually encouraged by this defense getting better as the season goes on, and when, when they get to face these anemic offenses coming up, I think they could go from a very good defense to potentially a great defense over the second half of the season. So uh, I guess that just kind of lines up to what I said earlier, which is there are wins out there for this team in the second half of the season. You know, it, it's just going to be a matter of whether Adam Gates can pull it out of them.
4: I think the defense played respectably. I wouldn't say they were amazing or anything like that. They were helped a little bit by Carson Wentz making some bad throws. There were a couple of times where he had wide open receivers that he missed. There was one there that he overthrew that would have been a touchdown. And as far as Tremaine Johnson goes, he would be the biggest downside by far of that defense, although I would say Daryl Roberts would be second. Tremaine Johnson, as you said, he likes to play off the ball, but there's off the ball, and then there's playing in another zip code. And by the way, if you're going to play off the ball – probably don't get called for a whole bunch of penalties on top of it so I'm not sure how he could have played any worse and I'm looking forward to hearing whatever the excuse is going to be for why he plays again against the Dallas Cowboys like you said I don't know what it is Nate Hairston did to deserve not getting to play after what Tremaine Johnson's done but if they want to go with the excuse of Tremaine Johnson looking good in practice fine I don't know what the real reason is but perhaps we will find out at some point Manish I'm actually going to rely on you for that you're the ace reporter you find out the real story behind what's going on
3: well Tremaine Johnson's going to have to likely be called on whether he starts or comes in relief against Dallas because uh, they do have uh, two formidable wide receivers in Amari Cooper and Michael Gallup Uh, uh, either way uh, he's going to have to play much better in a reserve role or if he does start again because two penalties uh, potentially more is not going to get it done against this Cowboys passing attack
4: Well, I'm putting it out there right now, Manish. If Tremaine Johnson plays against Dallas the way that he played against Philly, and he still starts the week after, I'm going to start to think that he's got blackmail material on somebody in that building because he's got to do better than that this week against the Cowboys, or I'm going to pull out what's left of my hair watching the Jets the rest of the season (laughs) as this guy continues to just get torched on a weekly basis. Manish, fingers crossed that your prophecy comes true And the Jets actually beat the Dallas Cowboys this week We will see But if they do, it will certainly add a little bit of spark to a season That could desperately use it Thanks so much for coming on again this week Really appreciate it What do you got cooking in the Daily News right now? I know you've always got something going on You're always stirring the pot What's happening with the Daily News right now? Well,
3: I can't really say I am working on something (laughs) But, uh I can't really say, I'm sure that some people will uh, not be happy with it, some people will be happy with it, that kind of goes uh, with the job description, but uh, uh, yeah, we'll try to hold some people accountable, let's put it that way.
4: Okay, sounds like a good teaser for the article when it drops, and certainly something that we can talk about next week, so make sure that you're following Manish so you're able to see his new mystery work when it comes out sometime later this week. And for the latest and greatest in New York Jets podcasts, you know where to go. That's Turn on the Jets Digital and jets.com
0: Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day, though.